Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? When I was five years old, I had this lesson bring, all these lessons bring back these memories. So sorry to bore you with these stories, but when I was five years old, I was living in a little town called Lake City, Texas, south of Houston. And uh, there was a little store called Herbie's on the corner, right down the street of Highway 3 from where we lived. And walked down there with my brothers, and uh, I really wanted some candy that day, and I didn't have any money. So I took a pack of Rolaids, and I stuck it in my pocket. It was the first time I stole something. And I got home... And I opened it up and I realized it wasn't candy, it was Rolaids. <laughs> and I was so bummed. And then I felt so angry at myself because I stole something that I didn't even want. So then I went inside and I was like, I gotta fix this. I felt so bad, I didn't say anything to anybody. And I went into my grandpa, had one of these little rubber pouches just squeezed and the middle popped open and I stole a quarter. So then I went down to Herbie's, walked down by myself, and I walked in the store, and I looked around so nobody saw me, and I set the, corner on a sh- the quarter on a shelf, and then I ran out of the store. And I thought I kind of fixed it, and I, w- and I was like, okay, that, that fixed it, right? And I just went home and literally never said a word to anybody. It was the first time I ever felt bad about myself. You ever remember, do you remember that time for you? The first time you felt bad, like I'm evil. There's something in me that's wrong. That was it for me. It was in that moment. And I can honestly tell you, I've never told that story to too many people. I don't think, Taylor, Kyle, have you guys heard that story before? No, my own sons have never heard that story. I just don't tell it a lot because it, it, it does bring back that memory of I felt bad about who I was. What was the first time that happened to you? Do you remember that story when you first felt or thought there's something inside of me that's not good? Tonight in Genesis 3, we're told the source of evil. Genesis 3 is a historical record told by Adam and passed to us through Moses. And it's a historical record that's critical to our faith in Jesus Christ. Without it, there's no need for Jesus at all, in fact. And the rest of the Bible, including the Old Testament, is actually pointless without Genesis 3. The rest of the Bible is the story of how evil corrupts everything that God made and how God responds to that evil. This book is pivotal. This story is absolutely pivotal to our faith in Jesus. So let me state clearly the summary of the key points of Genesis 3, 1 through 8. These are really important that we know these and understand them. The devil is real. He lives here with us. He works relentlessly with the help of his fallen angels and through most of the people on earth to turn us away from God. We know his efforts are effective because the temptations are very appealing and we see many people destroying all that is good. God gave us a choice to follow him. We can do evil things or do good things. And it's possible for us to cause other people to fail. When we choose to disobey, we frequently hide. Often we blame other people for our behavior God does provide guilt to help us know that we failed, and the devil counters that with shame to keep the sinful behavior active. My aim tonight is this, that the Holy Spirit will help you start to see your historical patterns of your sinful behavior so you can identify how the devil is exploiting you to destroy all that God calls very good. 
Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, and we need you, Lord. And Father, we do rebuke the devil. We tell him he has no place here. Jesus, this is your home. This is where you reside. Holy Spirit, come now. Help us hear your voice. Lord, help me not be a distraction. Help these men's phone not distract them. Help us hear you. Lord, we want to give you our best 20 minutes we have right now. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Genesis 3.1 tells us there was a crafty serpent in the garden, and he chose to speak to the woman instead of the man. Satan is identified in Job 1, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, John 8, and Revelation 21. And as a follower of Christ, I hope over time you'll actually know where all of those are by memory. These key texts make it clear that Satan is the serpent in Genesis 3. In Ezekiel 28, it describes a king and Satan at the same time. The narrative makes it clear they're almost indistinguishable. What Ezekiel wants us to know is that Satan is animating the king's behavior. Powerful people are extremely susceptible to following the paths of the devil, which makes them valuable examples for us to observe. That's why both Isaiah and Ezekiel write them that way. Satan was a guardian cherub anointed by God and in Eden. He was on the holy mount of God and he was a good angel. He was wise, very wise, beautiful, and adorned in precious stones. This guy looked phenomenal. And then we see him here in this garden as a serpent, upright, and he's talking. And Satan is still alive and at work today. In Revelation 21, we found out that he was fighting Michael and his angels in heaven, and he was actively opposing God and trying to gain control. God forced him out of heaven and sent him here to earth. And in Job chapter 1, he's asking permission from God to destroy the faith of Job. In 1 Peter 5, he's roaming the earth looking for people to devour. In 2 Corinthians 4, he's actively blinding unbelievers. And in John 8, Jesus describes him like this. He says, the devil has children who carry out his desires. He is murdering people as he did from the very beginning. And he's speaking his native language as the father of lies. Satan was indeed forced out of heaven because he wanted to be God. In Isaiah 14, 13, we're told he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to ascend to heaven. And then it went even further, and it said he wanted to raise his throne above the stars of God. And God did not allow that. Now Satan's on earth trying to convince mankind to do this. Follow him instead of God. And this is key. He's trying to get us to follow him instead of God. He couldn't gain control in heaven, so he's trying to gain control here. Satan's strategy to pull us away from God is documented in how he has tried to pull God's most loyal servants away from him. Jesus is first. In Matthew 4, we see Jesus where? Alone in the desert. This is where Satan tries to get people oftentimes alone. The second place we see him, he afflicts Job with intense suffering. This is one of the most common ways people deny faith in God is through suffering. So he attacks Job in his suffering. He sees David great victories in battle, has an incredible kingdom in front of him, and he steps back to take a rest, and he's celebrating in his victory, and he puts a woman in front of David's eyes. David, uh, the uh, devil attacks David when he's victorious and feeling proud. Judas, one of the disciples, Satan attacks him because he's hungry for power and money. Easy target. And lastly, Peter, 
Peter's arrogantly boasting of his love for Jesus, proud of his faith, and the devil moves right in in that moment. These are five of, Jesus, of God's most loyal people, and the devil goes right after them. You don't think he'll come after us? Indeed, he will. I've also tried to be an obedient servant of Jesus, not anywhere close to these men, but he goes after me all the time, you guys. I'll give you two examples. First, at 3 a.m., he starts talking to me, and I know it. It's not audible, but I can hear it. You know what I'm saying. He says this, Bill, you're going to cuss in front of those guys one of these times. That's not going to go well. You will so enjoy other women way more than your wife. Don't worry about your marriage. You give all those men your time, and you don't get paid a dime. You're going to die without ever living the good life that you earned when you sold your company. You deserve a lot more vacation time like all your friends. That's the three in the morning voice I hear. And then there's the 3 p.m. voice on Tuesday. He does. He came to me today like he does every Tuesday at 3 p.m. I go out for a walk and I pray now to try to get him to leave me alone. But he doesn't, he doesn't take that kindly. And he starts talking and this is what he says. And man, does it sound true, guys. I'm telling you, like it's true as something sounds. He says things like this. Bill, your lectures are not helping anyone. The content is terrible and poorly organized. You can easily just send the men home and skip the lecture. Nobody's going to miss it. By the way, your best days are behind you. It's time for you to stop. And you're thinking, yeah, that sounds kind of funny. It's not funny to me. When I'm walking and I'm hearing that, it scares the heck out of me, you guys. And this goes on every week, constantly. He talks. When are the times you hear him speak to you the most? And what's he saying? Genesis 3 reveals a process that the devil uses to cause us to fall. Try to remember the times when you failed. Write down the pattern of your sins by first thinking about when you hear his voice. There's patterns, and he repeats these patterns. He follows a process with you. When do you hear his voice? Start making note of that. And start to build your own historical record of your sin life so the patterns of the devil can be brought to light. Adam did such a great job of recording the pattern of their sin here so that he could say, that's how the devil works. He follows a pattern of creating sins in your life, and he'll repeat it over and over. Start to write it down. Start creating a historical record. In Genesis 3, 1 through 5, the devil used a logical sequence to convince Eve what God said wasn't true. The words of the devil are often called a temptation because they're, they attack her beliefs. They go after her mind. The devil couldn't make her act, but he could try to tempt her to act. God said Adam and Eve were good when he made them. Therefore, something outside of them was required to introduce evil into their hearts and minds. The devil's first step was to capture Eve's attention. Did God really say? Interesting enough, she was intrigued, wasn't she? And how do we know she was intrigued? Because she didn't run to God, and she didn't run to Adam. It was a bit like gossip. It seemed she really wanted to hear it, didn't she? Curiosity in this case really did kill the cat. His second step was to change what God said very slightly. The devil knows God's words and he knows them well. 
Did God say you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? This subtle change made it sound like God might be holding something back. He shifted her thoughts from what she had to what she didn't have. This, was also, this also introduced doubt about God's character. God was possibly withholding something good from Eve. Eve reveals she didn't remember what God said. So she said back, they couldn't eat or touch the forbidden fruit. Well, that wasn't in there either. God, God never said anything about touching. Where did this new rule come from? Possibly Adam. Now, if she saw animals eating the fruit, maybe she had reason to believe Adam was wrong, that you could, in fact, touch the fruit. Maybe Adam was the problem. And maybe God never said that at all. Touch the fruit. His third step was to tell her she would not die, but would become like God. The devil removed the punishment of dying. This minimized the consequence of disobedience. You guys, we, are all highly under, we all highly underestimate the brutal consequences of our sins. This is so common to all of us. We deeply underestimate how impactful our failures are. Let me give you an example. This, one, this one's going to be hard for me. For example, we've been told divorce has very little impact. And we've all been told this for a long time. Yet one million children suffer every year through the divorce of their parents. And the data shows they do, in fact, suffer. They have more physical abuse in their homes. They suffer themselves from drug abuse as they grow older, and they have much higher suicide rates than people who grow up in an intact home. They have lower scores in school in reading, spelling, and math. They drop out of high school far more frequently, and far less of them go to college. Yet, we cannot talk about it at church because divorced people get offended. Jesus said, when he was asked about divorce, he said, let no man tear apart what God has put together. The devil minimizes the consequences of our sins. This is just one example where the church has been silenced because the country has said it's okay and good to do. Men, all of our sins have serious consequences. We can choose to ignore them or we can face them. The devil then adds a strong appeal by saying the woman would become like God. God gave us a desire to subdue and take dominion, just like him. That desire was from him, yet the devil manipulates that desire. He wants us to think we have the power to define what is good. The world today breeds this lie. Everyone has a truth. Your truth is all that matters. Live any way that feels good to you. This is truly the lie that happened in the garden. We wanted to define good on our own terms. The devil lied and Adam was not there to protect Eve. God gave Adam the truth and expected him to protect it. He didn't give it to Eve, he gave it to Adam. So where was Adam? My guess, riding dinosaurs. <laughs> What's yours? I'm thinking he's a, you know, he's kind of a thrill junkie, right? She's over there making flower arrangements and he's like, nah, dude, I'm gonna go ride the brontosaurus. That pterodactyl flies, it's so cool. He's out having a great time. Nowhere to be found. Now it's funny, but I'm just speculating, right? But Adam wasn't there. Was Adam too busy or did he just ignore Eve? I don't know, but he wasn't there. Men, when we get married, it's our responsibility to, to protect our wives. That's our responsibility. 
And we're to protect our children by making sure they know God's word exactly as it is written. When we don't know God's word, we become a conduit for the propagation of evil. And we saw that in Romans chapter 1 very clearly. My wife is suffering from severe leg pain right now, and we just don't know the source that's causing it. But because we don't know, it's creating a lot of anxiety in her. As I did this lesson, it became clear I've not helped her over the last three years draw close to Jesus. I've been heavily preoccupied with running heart of a man. And the intersection of preparing this lesson and not sleeping for three nights last week helped me realize I have failed my wife. She has been alone and isolated, making her vulnerable to the devil. And if I had been at my post the last three years, we could have been praying, studying the word, and growing our love for each other and for Jesus. But because I've not been at my post, working to cultivate life in the garden of my marriage, my wife is being hurt with fear and anxiety. How would your family assess your efforts to protect them spiritually? How seriously are you taking these Bible studies to equip you to recognize the lies of the devil and his followers? In Genesis 3, 6, Eve ate the fruit and then convinced Adam to do the same. The devil attacked Eve's healthy desires, and these are healthy desires, guys. Eve saw the fruit was good. She saw it was good. That was God gave her that desire. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye. God gave her that desire, and she believed it was desire for gaining wisdom. God wants us to gain wisdom. In John, 1 John 2.16, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The devil makes the wrong things look a lot like the good things from God. He uses lies directed at our God-given desires to convince us to eat the fruit. Those were God-given desires that he twisted just enough. They became worldly desires and moved her off of God's plan. The devil makes the wrong things look a lot like the good things from God, and he uses lies directed at God, given desires to convince us to eat the fruit. That's what he does. What does the world offer that often looks enticing to you? This is, you got to start watching this, guys. These patterns repeat themselves in your heart. What is it offering that often entices you? What are you looking at? And we know for guys, it's our eyes, man. You know it is. Your eyes, man, just put you in a bad place. What is it that's enticing you? What are you looking at? What strong desires are pulling you away from God even right now? What are those strong desires that are pulling you away? You got to start becoming aware of yourself. Eve went to Adam after she was deceived and convinced him to eat as well. The one that God had provided to protect the man that Kyle talked about last week so vividly. This was the girl, the woman he so needed to protect him was the one to lead him away. Let me be clear, Adam did make his own choice just as he made hers, and he will be punished accordingly. But look, the devil never had to directly address Adam. He didn't have to do it. He sent Eve in his place. Throughout recorded history, Satan has used the failures of people to draw most of the world away from God. Satan is limited, though. 
And there are a finite number of angels. They can't tempt everyone at the same time, and they don't need to. They just need you to follow, and you'll bring others with you. Acts 20, 30 says it well. And from among you, from your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. How often do your worldly pursuits drag other people with you? How many people have you led astray because you didn't know God's word and instead gave them your advice? In Genesis 3, 7 through 8, Adam and Eve realized they were naked and felt shame. They knew they broke God's law. They knew good and evil at this point. Their eyes were open. This was their first moment of guilt. At this point, they needed to confess to God their mistake. This is what they needed to do, but they didn't. James 5.16 says it so clearly, confess your sins to one another so that you'll be healed. Which means if you don't confess your sins, you will remain sick. Unrepentant guilt caused them to fear punishment. That's what it was. And they knew they had broken his one and only law. Their shame made them afraid of God, so they hid. Hiding, which is shame, keeps the sin alive, poised to cause even more sin. Guilt comes from God. Shame comes from the devil. Jesus was walking in the garden looking for Adam. Jesus had to confront Adam. And instead of confessing in that moment, instead of Adam just coming clean like David did when he was found out, he came clean. Adam doesn't. Adam sins again. Why? Because he's living in shame. This is what shame does. It propagates the sin. Adam blames God for the woman. The woman you gave me caused it. He blames God. Can you imagine a more insulting thing to God than that? That was the most insulting, mean-spirited, hate-filled thing you could possibly do. And isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do when we get ashamed and guilty? We try to point to somebody else and blame them when, in fact, the moment screams of us just to confess. Jesus then had to confront Eve, and she blames the snake. Neither person confessed their sin and asked Jesus to forgive them. Neither of them. I only wonder what would have happened had they done that. Don't you? What if they'd just come clean? What would we be dealing with right now? You can see how shame is so stinking destructive, can't you? Shame propagates more sin. So clearly, it is a tool of the devil. So what is causing you to feel like you need to hide or avoid people right now? What will it take for you to confess your sins to another person tonight? Guys, I've worked with men for 30 years, and I've heard virtually every sin and failure you can write. I've heard them all in every facet, in every different way, in my plants, promise keepers. Guys, I mean, I've been around so many for so long, you can't tell me a sin that I haven't heard. I've been on the front row seat of guys' sin, their guilt, and their shame, including my own. And I'll tell you this, sex is one thing that keeps most men hiding and ashamed, almost always. If you're hiding a sexual sin right now, you need to confess it to one of the men in your group before you leave tonight. Sexual sin will cause you to keep sinning. Let me conclude with this summary. The devil is real. He is often, often leading you to follow him through the words of other people. 
He does that by making it appealing to do the things that are wrong. He exploits your desires and your insufficient knowledge of God's word. When you turn away from God, you often cause others to do exactly the same. And when you realize what you're doing is wrong, you will feel guilty. That's from God. And if that guilt does not lead you to confess, you will hide. And when you hide, you will stop serving God and keep the evil alive. And with that, the devil will have, in fact, accomplished exactly what he set out to do, which is have you follow him. The Apostle James said the process looks like this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I remember in sixth grade, seeing boys with girlfriends. It's the first time I noticed. Fifth grade, didn't notice. Sixth grade, noticed. <laughs> Not sure what happened. There were some fig leaves or something going on there. I don't know what happened. But I noticed. And I remember sixth grade vividly looking around and the girls were noticing the guys and the guys and there were guys getting girlfriends. And I was like, I, I want one of those. I, I, I want a girlfriend. And then I met my best friend, Vinny. Everybody's got a good friend, Vinny, don't they? <laughs> Vinny led me to some bad things. Vinny had a big smile and a big crop of hair, and he was a nice-looking guy, and the girls loved Vinny. He, could, he was smooth as silk. His mom was an actress. His dad was in the, I mean, his Vinny was smooth. And, man, did he get the girls. And I remember, I just was like, I just wanted to be like Vinny, man. I wanted a girlfriend. I just, I, saw, I just wanted that, man. I'm like, and it was a good thing, though. You know, it was kind of an innocent thing. And then I remember the first time, I can picture where we were standing outside at this girl's house, and Vinny started to describe how he got his hand in the cookie jar. And I was like, oh, what's in the cookie jar? And he starts describing what he found in there, and I was like, I want that. And all of a sudden, that desire for what I really thought was something good, and it was, God wants us to be connected to a girl, obviously, but not that way. The Vinny way was the wrong way. And all of a sudden, I became obsessed with Vinny's way instead of God's way. But I had nobody in my life saying, what, are you, what did he tell you? What are you thinking, man? Like, that's crazy, dude. Don't do that. I mean, honestly, if I just had a dad that I could have sat with and said, Dad, I just heard about the cookie jar. And he'd be like, don't put your hand in a cookie jar. <laughs> don't touch the fig leaf, all right, you know? I would have never done that, but I didn't have that. My desire for a girl wasn't bad, but Satan sent Vinny to warp that good desire. I remember the first time I got drunk, I was in seventh grade. And you know what I really wanted? I just wanted to be close to my brothers. They were my older brothers. I just wanted to be like them. And so that's what they did, so that's what I did. Satan took something good, which was a desire to be connected with my brothers, and he warped it into getting drunk, puking, dragging me up and down the street as I vomited. Yeah, it was terrible. The first time I smoked weed, I was a sophomore in high school. I remember these guys, I all liked them. They were so cool. They were the athletes, you know, they were all just cool. They all had long hair. I had to have my hair cut because I went to a military academy. 
And I was like, dude, these guys are cool. They're smoking weed. I'm like, I just want to be their friend. So I smoked weed. I wanted to have some good friends, and the devil said the way to do it is to smoke weed. And then I remember junior year, all those guys were still my friends, and I felt this deep need. My parents had moved out. They weren't living, we weren't living together. I was living in a house by myself on the weekends. They'd come home, and I was just really feeling the need to want to be just respected, like really valued, and I just wanted that. I just wanted to feel like I was somebody, you know, like I had some real purpose. I was just wanting that need for respect. And the way I got these guys respect is I, I bought the best weeds you could buy and the best paraphernalia to smoke it with. And I carried it around in this case and I became like a God in that community. Can you see it though? It was just so warped. What I wanted was good. I wanted to be respected and valued. And what the devil said is do it this way. God's desires warped by the devil's ways sent me down terrible paths. When the devil wants me to fail, he simply tweaks my desire for friendship and recognition. So you can see, I've spent a little bit of time studying my historical record of my sin, and I'm not particularly proud of it. I'm not, I don't think it's cool. I don't think it's something people should do, and I certainly never want my family or my kids to do, and I never told my kids any of this kind of stuff until they were much past that age because I just don't like it. I don't think it's good, but I've spent some time studying, and I've gotten to see where I fail, I know where I fail. I see how God, the Satan talks to me and where he attacks me and it's in my loneliness and my desire for recognition. And he talks to me in a certain way and at certain times and he really tries to pull those levers. And so my question for you is, how carefully have you studied your life and noted what desires are being exploited in you? I recommend you go home and journal your sin history and discover how Satan has exploited your God-given desires. My guess is there's not too many churches in America telling you to go study your sin history. I probably won't get a phone call from uh, you know, Rick Warren or anything tomorrow asking me about this great idea. Um, but I found it to be really enlightening to look at how sin, I've played sin out in my life and how the devil's exploited that and the good desires that were underneath that that he attacked. And the reason I think it's important is because that pattern in your life is very likely going to be repeated and he's going to show up there. And if you know he's coming there, you have a really good chance of winning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you for this time with these dear brothers. Lord, help us now get really clear on who our adversary is and how he attacks us. Lord, in two weeks, we get to talk about how to fight this. And I'm excited to have that discussion because we can, we can win this war. But in that time, Lord, help us really look at ourselves keenly. Help us be aware of who we are and how we fail. That's why you gave us this message, Lord. Where is the evil in our hearts and how can we see it more clearly? Jesus, walk with us now. Bless us this week. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us love you well. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.